Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to Mind Love, episode 50. Holy crap. Today's episode is all about chakras and how to heal imbalances and blockages. When someone is physically healthy their energy system is flowing and the chakras are open and aligned. When someone is unwell, there's usually a blockage in one or more of the energetic systems. And no matter how much you treat the physical symptoms, unless you treat the energetic blockage, the disease will not go away. You won't experience remission or healing, not in a permanent way that's, that's transformative. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. First, Mind Love is a CastBox original. CastBox is the fastest-growing, highest-rated podcast app on both iOS and Android. And for good reason. The app is awesome. Personally, it's my favorite and where I listen to all of my podcasts. You can still listen to Mind Love wherever you get your podcasts, but I hope you'll give CastBox a try. Second, don't forget to subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're listening on and leave a review if you can. Reviews really help to entice more amazing guests. Plus, it helps me grow the show, which ultimately helps me give more value to you guys. Hi, friends. When I was going through yoga teacher training back in 2013, part of the curriculum was learning about the chakra system. And ever since, it's fascinated me. The chakras are your energy centers. The entire universe is made up of energy. And as you scale things down, it's almost as though you have a smaller universe inside you. Terrence McKenna said, there's an entire universe inside you. And Rumi said, do not feel lonely. The entire universe is inside you. So all these great people are saying, there is a universe inside you. I'm listening. Well, in a healthy, balanced person, the seven chakras provide exactly the right amount of energy to every part of your body, mind, and spirit. But if one of your chakras is too open or spinning too quickly, or if it's too closed and moving too slowly, both your physical and mental health can suffer. By learning about the seven chakras, you can actually start to heal physical, emotional, and spiritual imbalances. And you start to become more in tune with the natural energy cycles of your body. It's like the spiritual science that they don't teach you in school. And honestly, I don't understand why they don't teach these things in school. We don't learn about our own energy or even how to deal with our own emotions, but chemistry is required. Like that's needed. Thanks, I'm now fully prepared to start a meth lab, which I've turned to because no one taught me to deal with my emotions. Sounds about right. So a while back, I bought a really comprehensive book on chakras, and overall it was pretty fascinating. Did you know you can even tell if people have a chakra imbalance by their posture and the way they hold their bodies? Pretty cool, right? Well, as interesting as the book itself was, it was actually 
pretty dense and hard to get through, which is why I'm so excited about this episode because this is the most fun I've had learning about chakras. Our guest today is Dr. Athena Paracas. She's the founder and CEO of Sage Goddess, the world's largest source of sacred tools and metaphysical education. Each week, Sage Goddess reaches millions of people across the globe. And Athena's metaphysical experience spans more than 30 years, and she's an expert in gemology, astrology, tarot, aromatherapy, Reiki, and herbal medicine. This episode is actually packed with so much knowledge, but some of the many things we will learn are all about the seven chakras in a way that's practical and helpful for real life, how our chakras become imbalanced and how to heal them. And since tomorrow is October 31st, we're sprinkling in some witchy things. Plus, we'll learn how to best maximize the energetic power of Halloween. Before we get started, I want to tell you about the best way to stay in your highest frequency between episodes. Thousands of listeners are loving my daily morning mind love emails. They're short daily reminders of your own beauty, magic, and power so you can start each day with your best mindset. Just go to mindlove.com and sign up right there on the homepage. Or if you're out and about, just text the word morning to 33777. That's morning to 33777. Plus, you'll get some amazing free gifts when you do. First, you'll get a really cool free booklet of Powerless based on proven methods from the most successful people in the world to automate your highest decisions. Plus, you'll get a free guided affirmation meditation. It's set with a binaural frequency known as the Miracle Tone, which is known to make you a magnet for love, health, and abundance. Then it's layered with affirmations to perfectly tune your frequency for transformation. Just go to mindlove.com to sign up. Or if you're out and about, just text the word morning to 444-999. That's morning to 444-999. And now let's welcome Athena Paracas to the show. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be with you. So what's your backstory? How did you become the founder of Sage Goddess? Well, I suppose it's like anyone else's backstory where in hindsight you think, really? I mean, how did all those dominoes line up? It's such a miracle. So I was a professor, a university professor for about 15 years at two different universities in Southern California before I retired and went into private sector work as a corporate consultant. That work was also very stressful. And so I started making some of the things that I sell now as stress relief. <laughs> I would make it for my friends or I would make it for myself and mostly just for the process of making it because for me, creating what I create is a very healing thing in my life, a force in my life. And so one day I had made something for a friend of mine, a sage bundle, and she did not live locally. And so she said, you know, is there any way you could put it online and that way I can, I want to pay you for it so I can go and like check out and give you money for that. And I was like, no, I'll just send it to you. It's a gift. And she was like, no, you have to start charging. Like it takes you money and time to create these things. So I want to start to nourish you, which I think will end up supporting you in different ways. So I put it online on Etsy. I didn't know what Etsy was. I didn't have a shop. I had to set up a shop. And so it asked for a shop name and literally it was five minutes. I was like, well, I'm putting a sage bundle on there. So I'll call it sage and I'm named after a goddess. So I'll call it sage goddess. You know, I didn't do the things that people do when they're starting a business, like maybe do a URL search or a trademark search to see if somebody else has a shop named Sage Goddess. I just didn't think I was doing anything like that. I just thought I was giving an item that I had created for to a friend. And the long story short is I put it online, it sold out, but it wasn't her that bought it. It was some person who just found me. And so I listed another one, it sold, but again, it wasn't her who bought it. And so by the time I she bought one on Etsy, I had sold about 10 others to people I didn't know. 
And it sort of took me by surprise, like, whoa, these things that I make, it seems like people are interested and they're finding me really easily. I don't even know how. From that day to the day we became number one worldwide on Etsy in my category, it was about four years. And so it's been this whirlwind process of birthing Sage Goddess through my side and building a company here in Southern California and then returning to my roots, which is writing and research, which ultimately yielded the book that we're talking about today. But it, it was me coming back to my roots after creating this tidal wave of energy called Sage Goddess that I didn't intend really to create in the first place. What originally piqued your interest in these metaphysical tools? I have been studying and practicing what I do now since I was about the age of 15. 15 was the age when I got my first job and the first thing I bought was a crystal book because I was already obsessed. I had been collecting crystals since I was about five. And I got my first crystal book. I got my second crystal book. Every paycheck that I earned as a very young kid went to buying either more crystals or books about crystals. And from there, I started finding teachers. I found my first formal teacher in metaphysical work at 18 and then started being introduced to energy work and Reiki and yoga and these other modalities that really built on what had been at that point even a longstanding understanding of the role of crystals in healing work. Oh, so you got your start early. I wish I was introduced to holistic and metaphysical solutions earlier in life. I feel like those of us who discovered it later just seem to have so many extra blockages. Oh my goodness. Well, I have that too, because I was raised in a really conservative religious home, but never fully aligned with it. You know, it's not that I was out of alignment with it, but I always had this really clear understanding that Christianity, for example, is one face of divinity. It's one face of source energy, but there are other faces. And even as a child, and I don't know how, because my parents really sort of had us on lockdown and we didn't have internet access. You know, my kids still don't believe me when I tell them that there were no internets when I was a kid. So, you know, whatever you learned was either from your home or from your teachers at school. And someone at some point must have cracked me open a little bit or, you know, looking back too, I also believe that we are constantly being taught by spirit guides. And so what we understand to be true isn't just a product of our social conditioning and our primary education. It's also about the fact that we come here on a soul contract to do certain work in the world. The work that I do now, I can tell you for sure, is my soul's path and purpose. Doesn't make it any easier than anybody else's job, but it's more natural for me. And so it's an extension of who I am. But I think the primary obstacle for me was I came from a monotheistic family with a polytheistic in a sense of understanding that God shows up with many faces. And I had to find a way to navigate that until I was old enough to stand on my own two feet in terms of my beliefs. I had a similar experience. My mom found Christianity when I was pretty young, but she was raised Catholic. So a lot of my life, she was finding her way with Christianity. But I remember what originally got me questioning things. As far back as I can remember, my mom was really afraid for my grandparents because she honestly believed that even though my grandpa went to church every week, they were both going to hell for all eternity because Catholics don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. You have to ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior to get into heaven. So as a kid, I just remember thinking, what kind of God would send my sweet, loving grandparents to burn in hell for all eternity? It just never resonated 
that this was the only way. And if it was, I was going to find another way. (laughs) So I do believe there's truth to Christianity and all religions. And it's even helpful to have different ways to tell these parables because people are going to relate to different things based on their own cultures and their own experiences. But I also believe the closest to the truth that we'll get is what they all have in common, not their differences. But looking back, that's kind of a weird and morbid thing for a three-year-old to have to ponder. Yeah. And what's really interesting is so many in my community are kindred to you and me. That's a familiar story. And so we all kind of smile and nod. But we also recognize that it's very real. You know what I mean? When you're having to try and explain the complexities of, of, a, of a pantheistic perspective where all the stories are true, not just the Christian story is true, which I do believe the Christian story is true, but I also believe all the other stories are true as well. And so it's like, that's a paradigm shift. That's an expansion of consciousness. And when you're the one trying to do it in your family, and there's literally no one else to support you, I think it ends up sort of helping us become these really strong people that we have to be to be able to go out in the world as empaths and survive. I'm glad you brought that up because it reminds me of ancestral healing. A shaman recently taught me that when we're working with our ancestral lineage, we're affected by the seven generations before us and the seven generations after, which means that the work that we do now can actually heal our future lineage, but it can also heal our past. And that's kind of mind blowing when you think about it. And it's really interesting because I just came back from a weekend of shamanic journey where I chose to go backwards. When you do shamanic journey, you can really choose to focus on the backward lineage or the forward lineage because you can heal both. And so I was really working with the backward lineage. And I think what people need to know is your feelings, the ideas that flow through your head, your points of anxiety, your buttons, you know, that people can push. They don't necessarily come from this lifetime. In many cases, for example, I come from a long lineage of immigrants who lost everything in war multiple times. There is a fear in my line about loss of material things that still permeates my life today, even though I haven't had that as a lived experience. And so if people think the ancestral stuff isn't relevant, they have to know it impacts everything they think, say, do, feel until they become conscious of it and find ways to heal it backward. That's actually a good segue into our next topic. But to preface it, a lot of the things that we're going to be talking about today are considered by some as witchy things, which I love witchy things. But first, what is your definition of a witch? A witch is a wise person. If you go by the etymology of what Wicca means, which is the origin of the word witch, it simply means a wise person. Well, we all know that part of our history includes burning witches at the stake. So how do you think that that has affected our ability, especially as women, to embrace our true power now? Oh, my God. Well, I mean, that's the same thing. Do you know, it's like whether we're talking about your grandmother who lost her family and her home in war, or you're talking about your great grandmother who was burned at the stake, trauma is trauma. And whether that trauma is based on your ethnicity, your culture, the place that you live at the time of a war, for example, or your belief system in the case of, you know, those who were persecuted for their beliefs, I will tell you, and I believe it to be true to this day, in part because I am one. And so I can tell you based on my own lived experience. Wise women still scare people. 
you know, it's like there is still this latent anxiety about what's possible when women fully activate their power. You know, if you trace it all the way back, I, I'm a scholar of ancient civilizations. And so our anxiety about female power and knowledge extends back to Sumeria and Mesopotamia, which are really the first cultures ever on this planet. And, you know, I think a lot of us have memories of lifetimes in places we know as Lemuria and Atlantis, which are the original civilizations on earth, where there was actually an equal balance of power between what we know today as men and women. And so ever since then, it's been out of balance. You know, it's sort of like leaving the Garden of Eden and then coming into this new awareness where we accept that there's an imbalance of power. But the great fear on some level in the subconscious is that we will go back to a, a time and a place and an experience of women as fully equal and that that will somehow disrupt, you know, broader systems <laughs> that are in place. I recently read an interview with somebody who identifies as a modern witch, but her definition of a witch is someone who works with the planetary cycles and for women in particular, the moon cycles. I will say working with moon cycles has totally changed the way I work or even just my expectations of myself during different times of the month. So how do you incorporate witchiness or even just working with the moon cycles in a practical way for the modern world? Find out when we come back. And if this is your first time giving your mind a little love, I have a few goodies for you. First, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And second, sign up for the Morning Mind Love. Think of it like a weekday oracle from your highest self to help you start each day with a positive focus. Plus, you'll get two gifts absolutely free, a 30-minute binaural meditation and 30 days of journaling prompts to help you remember who you truly are. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up or text the word MORNING to 33777. We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. So how do you incorporate witchiness or even just working with the moon cycles in a practical way for the modern world? Yeah. Well, and one thing I like to remind people, you know, one of the reasons that I don't identify as a witch or sort of align myself to that term in my own practice is that it's kind of new. I mean, I think of myself as being much older than what we know today as witchcraft. And so I place the origin of my practice and that's through understanding past lives and also, you know, sort of like where I can trace my traditions back to, to being pre-witchcraft. 
people always ask me, are you a witch or do you identify as a witch? And I always say, no, I'm too old for that. I've been playing this game for a lot longer than that institution or that term or that whatever you want to call it category has existed. But I think ultimately we're still talking about the same thing, whether you want to say, you know, the word priestess resonates more with me because it's as old as I believe I am. But that's still a figure of female spiritual leadership, someone who knows how to work with energy and direct it toward a specific intention for a specific outcome. But I like to to teach people about the broader context and the bigger history of magic and women's role in magic because it extends far before witchcraft to something much more primal that often resonates more with people because of the connotations that we have attached to the word witch in our society today. Connotations with wording can be so heavy. I've shared before that I've had a hard time even saying the word God. I can just feel this resistance when I say it. So I'm more comfortable saying universe or source, or instead of prayer, I use intention. I am slowly chipping away at those blockages, but I feel like the best you can do is just be accepting of where you are in your own journey. I couldn't agree with you more, you know, and I think as soon as we say a word, whether we like it or not, we open a box and we try to put whatever we're talking about in that box and shut the lid. And that's not because we're being dismissive. That's because we're human beings and we have to compartmentalize things a little bit to make sense of them. Our human brain can't process our soul's wisdom. It's just impossible. It short circuits. And so in order to make sense of the complexity that our soul feels and understands, We have to compartmentalize it in a way that our ego and our mind can control it, define the parameters of it, and then categorize it for better understanding. You seem to have this really deep connection or knowledge about your past lives. And I've found that at least the people that I know that feel really connected to their past lives had at least a foundation in their childhood that nurtured those thoughts. But you were raised in a religion that didn't believe in past lives at all. So how did you begin to get in touch with that part of yourself? It's actually my mom, who is the really the Christian matriarch in my family, would actually tell you that part of the reason she holds space for past lives is what happened when she gave birth to me. Because when I was born, for whatever reason, and I have two children, and I can say that based on my own children, my experience with them, I know for sure I was an anomaly. I was talking by the time I was about six months old. I was writing by the time I was three. I was reading newspapers by the time I was four. It was just very quick with language. And the first thing I ever said to my mom wasn't a word. It was asking for a person who doesn't exist. And I was so angry that she wouldn't tell me where this woman was that I was looking for that I would just cry. And then I would ask her again and she would say, I don't know who you're asking for. And I would just cry. And it actually is a lifetime immediately before this lifetime. I don't believe I was gone for very long. I think I died tragically and then came almost right back in. And I couldn't understand why the woman who took care of me in that life wasn't here. And I was very angry. That's not a normal experience to have with a two-year-old. Do you know what I mean? It's not like who has complete memories of the lifetime that she just left and is really frustrated with this woman who says she's her mother but really doesn't understand who this person is. And then I was like, get me out of here. Like, this doesn't make any sense to me. And so my mom said it was such a trip for her. I mean, I'm sure you can imagine based on what I'm telling you, she's like, wait a minute. (laughs) Hello, I have a daughter now. 
who says she doesn't know who the hell I am and is very angry with me because I can't produce this other person who she says kind of is her mother. And now she wants to leave. It's like, what is happening here? In a way, I've always been the one bursting the consciousness open in my family and not because of things that I learned, but because of things I came in with that were not only beyond my level of comprehension, but exceeded their ability to comprehend as well. Oh my gosh. Did you ever do research to see if you could find that woman? You know, it was a common name. And so that was the struggle of it. It's a very common name. But I knew then and I still know who I was asking for. There's a part of me on a deep subconscious. I've had to heal this in shamanic journey work that really is still mourning that person. And, you know, in some ways I look forward to when I cross the next time, like, will she be there? Why didn't I have time? You know, a lot of times souls are given sort of a reservoir of time between lives to reconcile and I picked up a new contract and just bounced right back in. And I think it's because I missed this person so much. And so it's an interesting way to come into a lifetime. But it also, for me, it's like I've never questioned past lives because I've been working my past life since I started this life on many levels. I just got chills all over my entire body when you were telling that story. And then before you even said you were in mourning, I felt this knot in my chest like I could cry. I don't know what was going on there. Like I said, I I know for sure it was a tragic ending of my life immediately before this. And at a very young age, I don't think I was older than five. And I I know it was by water. I know that I drowned. By the time this person found me, I was already gone. It It was a tragic accident. And it is. Do you know the fact that you could feel it is testimony to how energy operates, but it's still very much like I know that 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 energy of that woman, I don't think she's incarnated again in this lifetime. I think that may have been her last. And so I think that's part of my grief is um, I won't see her again until I'm finished here. But I do feel like she's a guide for me. I've seen her. I do a meditation with my students called the Elder Council once a quarter, which is where we go into another dimensional portal and connect with spirit guides. And she's almost always there when I go. So given that you know that you drowned, do you have any current fears around water? I, uh, I don't know how to swim. At about 25, I really got brave and started taking regular showers. I could stand to have water on my face. I also had a past life much earlier than that where I've been shown that I was sacrificed, but it was a willing sacrifice in a Mayan or Aztec lifetime. And I think that was another lifetime where that was to water. And so water's not a force I work with easily. I don't have any planets in water in my um, astrological chart, for example. And so a lot of the work of this lifetime for me is about learning to integrate that element and not be so afraid of it. And my what's ironic is I live right next to the Pacific Ocean and every vacation we spend on the North Shore of Oahu, but I can't get into the water myself. Wow. I'm honestly still a little stunned how intense that feeling was right here at my sacrum. So since we're about to start talking about chakras, and that's the sacral chakra. Uh-huh, the sacral chakra. Mm-hmm. Is there any significance to the sacral chakra in this context? The main energy centers where we experience that zing of feeling, when it is more of a feeling and less of a thought, do you know what I mean? You weren't thinking about my experience. You were feeling my experience. And so you engage the heart, the solar plexus, and then the sacral chakra. And so the sacral chakra is your center of creativity, but not just creativity. It's procreativity. It's life, right? It's life and death. 
And it's the female life force, the ability to carry life that sits at that power center. And then the solar plexus, which is just above it, truly governs your intestines, is where you see and identify truth in your body. Truth sits there, but so does lack of truth and lack of clarity. And so those two power centers are really, really important when it comes to discerning. And again, we're taught in Western culture, we got to figure it out. We got to think about it. We have to understand it. And the reality is that's not how we process on the deepest level. We process with our intestines and we process with our procreative system. And that's not a thinking, that's a sensing and a feeling. It's much more powerful. Well, let's back up for a second and cover the basics. What are the chakras? So the word chakra in Sanskrit means wheel. And it's such an interesting metaphor that the seven chakras that are adjacent to and connected to your body systems, basically from the top of your head to your tailbone, are these discs or wheels of light. And they all turn together in sort of a synchronous motion when they're functioning well and their energy is flowing freely through you. And each one governs a different part of you. Each one governs a different one you know, of your senses. Each one governs a different part of your physical well-being. And each one is distinct. And yet if they all have to operate together, it's a dependent system of independent wheels of light. And, and you can have one that is moving easily, energy is flowing well. And then the next one, you can have a block. And so when someone is physically healthy, their energy system is flowing and the chakras are open and aligned. When someone is unwell, there's usually a blockage in one or more of the energetic systems. And no matter how much you treat the physical symptoms, unless you treat the energetic blockage, the disease will not go away. You won't experience remission or healing, not in a permanent way that's, that's transformative. Say you have a blockage in one chakra. Does it affect the other chakras? It can. And it's like, think about any system really where there's a block in one or more parts. It's like, I, there was a game when I was a kid of like these wheels and you would drop a little metal ball at the top of it. And it would sort of like run through the wheels down to the bottom of the toy. And I remember there was something stuck in one of the gears. And so I would drop the ball at the top, but it would only make it halfway down. And that's kind of what it's like when you have a chakra block. It's like energy's trying to flow through you, but it can't get past your heart because your heart was broken and you never healed the trauma and now your heart chakra is blocked. And so no matter how hard you work and no matter how many pills you take, you're not going to have the energy you're looking for unless you deal with that frequency, that trauma that still is anchored in the heart space. Similarly, you know, if someone has taken away your power in an abusive situation, your solar plexus is going to be blocked. And again, no matter how hard you work, you put that ball in at the top and it's going to get stuck at that solar plexus every time until you move it, the blockage out of the way. There are seven main chakras. So let's start from the beginning, the root chakra. And I know that this is a big one, not actually large, but an important one. So what do we need to know about the root chakra? Yeah, the root chakra is actually the one in my work and with my community where we have to do the most work. And each chakra, by the way, governs a stage of life. The root chakra governs ages zero through five. And so obviously, based on what I've told you today, you can probably understand why that's my primary challenge area, because I came in with trauma. You know, I didn't have to even experience trauma as a human being in this lifetime. I, I brought it in. And so the root chakra, the mantra is I am and it really goes to like, who are you? Are you and are you safe on this planet? And so it's these really primal needs 
at the root chakra. So it can be any trauma before the age of five, um, any trauma in utero, and any past life trauma that gets brought in from previous lifetimes as well gets anchored there. So in the first five to seven years of our lives, we're influenced by the root chakra. And one of the ways root chakra issues can manifest is an eating disorder. So that has me thinking, obviously. A possible connection for me is that my parents split when I was still an infant and we moved in with my grandparents. I lived with them until right before I turned five. So definitely all of that was affecting my root chakra. I just remember every time I knew my dad was coming to pick me up, I would just cry and cry and beg my mom not to make me go. It's not that I didn't like my dad. I just wasn't comfortable with him. I was just a little girl and... My mom was all I knew, and my grandparents, but that bond between a daughter and a single mom can be pretty tight. At least that's how it was in my case. So a lot of my early years were feeling torn, or maybe without a solid foundation. And I'm definitely not saying it's my parents' fault. I believe I somehow chose all of my struggles when I came into this life, so I own my screw-ups, but mapping them out helps me to process them and also to find alternative ways to care for myself that I might not have thought of if I didn't look into the chakra system. So since the root chakra is what grounds you, healing it involves grounding practices like walking barefoot outside in the grass or grounding visualizations or eating grounding foods like sweet potatoes or beets or other root vegetables. Another healing method that I think is interesting that you can do with all of the chakras is color therapy. So since the root chakra is associated with the color red, you can introduce red-hued colors into your life. For example, wear red clothing or surround yourself with red objects like red candles or just creatively express yourself in the color red. Now up to the second chakra, which is the sacral chakra. The second chakra, in my experience, governs about ages 6 to 13 up until puberty and just immediately beyond. And that is your sexual energy center, creativity, procreativity. And so any trauma in uh, early adolescence can cause sacral chakra imbalances, as can sexual trauma at any age, loss of a child, including abortion. I had a cesarean section that is also considered sacral chakra trauma that has to be healed. And so that is all about what you birth and what you create in this lifetime for men and for women. You know how we said when one chakra is imbalanced, it's likely that the others are affected also? That's probably why sacral and root chakra issues are so common, because a lot of people suffer from imbalances in both of these areas. Pretty sure I do. And remember, issues in each chakra can either be imbalanced because of excess energy there or deficient energy there, and they act differently. So I've gone between excess and deficient in my sacral chakra at different times in my life. You're probably in excess if you're moody, people-pleasing, or need attention, or even if you're going through a little slutty phase. No judgment, been there. You're deficient if you feel detached, emotionally cold, or sexually frigid. Fun date. Now, how about that third chakra? Last break, guys. I love you. I'm constantly sharing with my clients to stop searching in life and instead start aligning. 
It's true with purpose, with relationships, with higher versions of yourself, and it's also true for hiring. The best way to search is actually just to match with Indeed. Indeed is your one-stop hiring platform with millions of job seekers visiting every month, and their powerful matching engine helps you find quality candidates fast. Plus, Indeed lets you schedule interviews, screen applicants, and message candidates all in one place. But Indeed isn't just about speed. They also deliver quality. According to a recent Indeed survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. I love Indeed because it makes hiring so much easier. I'm all about alignment in all areas of my life, and that includes people I hire to work in my business. So I need a hiring partner that makes it simple to find candidates with the right skills. And that's Indeed. And what's really cool is Indeed's matching engine gets smarter the more you use it, learning from your preferences and over 140 million qualifications. Plus, I love that I can do all my hiring in one place. It's just one less thing to keep track of between all of the other things. So join over 3.5 million businesses worldwide who rely on Indeed to find great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mindlove. Just go to Indeed.com slash mindlove right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mindlove. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard, and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says, <laughs> and it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small, and when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash MindLove. Now, how about that third chakra? Oh, yeah. That solar plexus is right about age 13 to 18 to 20. It's when you first have your, a sense of yourself separate from family and convention. So your solar plexus is, this is who I am outside of my last name and everything that I've been taught. This is the core of who I am and why I'm on this planet. And so it's your power center. It's your confidence center. And if you don't develop a separate identity from your family in those adolescent years, then you can end up with a blockage at the solar plexus. We also experience blockages at the solar plexus anytime our self-esteem is wounded. And it's interesting because that is the age time you know, period, if you think about it, where the ego is most exaggerated. Kids, the whole concept of peer pressure is they really can't understand who they are outside of people's perceptions of them. Do you know, like everybody else's opinion matters more than theirs. And that's the period when your solar plexus is developing. There's a Miles Davis quote that says, man, sometimes it takes a long time to sound like yourself. 
But I love that quote. And it's funny because I think that when we're younger, we have a lot of naive confidence. But I can remember moments when I realized, wait, this is who I am. This feels really right. But then it puts you into this little existential crisis like, hold on, what was I doing before? Who have I been all these years? That happened to me yesterday, though, by the way. So part of what I want to tell people is, and I'm 45, like, I'm still figuring it out. It's not like we wake up at 22 and we're like, all right, solar plexus is cooked. I'm ready to go to the heart chakra or whatever. You know, it's like, it's iterative because I'm still discovering who I am. And I think I probably will still be discovering for the rest of my life. And I've learned not to be disappointed with myself around that. I've learned to actually appreciate that because I give myself freedom to still become something other than I am right now and that that's okay. Yeah, I think that's bound to happen, not only as individuals, but also as humanity. We'll always be advancing and learning more about who we are, making new discoveries. That was actually one of my biggest problems with religion was that it almost created fear around looking deeper. It felt like science was the antithesis of religion. So it's like, wait, so you're saying we know everything there is to know already right now? Think of how much more we know about evolution and quantum physics than we did even just 10 years ago. How can anyone say that with the advancement of technology now and how fast things are moving that we're not going to discover anything new about the nature of existence? And what's interesting, a lot of my practice is uh, shamanic. You know, we use modalities and plant medicines that are thousands of years old. And I think those of us who did do this work in particular sort of giggle a little bit about this quest to know everything and to understand everything because we recognize that we still have to go back to the jungle and to the wisdom of the jungle for our wisdom. It can't be found on the internet. It's not going to be found on YouTube. You're not going to see it on Instagram. And so we think we're making all these strides. But again, we go back to that word wise, which or whatever, you know what I mean? Like the, the wise among us are still using the old tools because we recognize that at the end of the day, they are still the best channels of wisdom. Yes. And it makes sense because we used to have to go inward for everything. The more technology advanced, the more we lost that connection. Now we're like, trust myself over Google? Nonsense. (laughs) (laughs) No, you know, and I feel for people, it's like they're Googling their way through their spiritual experience. And then you're at the mercy of whatever person, you know, happens to pop up in your recommended videos. And I just think there's a lot of cautionary tales. And I think people have to learn how to use their powers of discernment in order to hopefully find someone like you, right, who's a good steward and a good guide is going to be accurate in what you share with people and thoughtful. There's a lot of content out there that leads people astray. And so I think I wish we could sometimes sort of censor it out and learn how to go within again and be able to listen, because that's where the real wisdom is. I am certainly guilty of Googling how to connect with my intuition. Just to share my shame a little, hashtag shame share. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I've Googled everything, right? Because on some level, we are curious. Maybe somebody's got a better idea than we have, and I'm really ready to hear about it. On one hand, we stop trusting our inner knowing, but it also speeds up the evolution of our consciousness because we're able to share the biggest things we've learned in life globally in an instant. So I guess it's a blessing and a curse. Moving up to the fourth energy center, tell us about the heart chakra. 
So the heart chakra, again, not surprisingly, really comes into play in the early 20s. And the work of developing your ability to move beyond love of self, which is the really the fruition of the solar plexus is I'm a powerful person and I see and respect and honor myself. Then you move to the heart chakra, which is I see another powerful person apart from me and I'm able to see and respect and love them as separate from me. And that's when we really start to develop the heart chakra. So the heart chakra is about being in good relationship and finding a balance of emotion and expression of emotion. But again, you know, a lot of trauma happens in those early love relationships when we're figuring out how to be in relationship without giving our power away by being on the same page. And, and you think about your relationships in your early 20s, at least mine, you know, we're not prime examples of, of what it means to be in a healthy, functional relationship. You know, two 20-year-olds are sort of, they're both developing their heart chakras. So it's like the blind leading the blind a little bit through things sometimes. And so, but those early experiences of love are very important. And a lot of my clients didn't have them. I noticed sort of a pattern people with heart chakra blockages, a lot of times are people who didn't enter into relationship until their late twenties and early thirties. That's a challenge. I think you really do have to start to have heart-based love connections with others starting in your late teens in order to develop a strong heart chakra that isn't blocked. My very first boyfriend, first of all, got biggest flirt in high school. I know, nice choice. But he was all about the conquest, like how many people he could sleep with. And I, for some reason, took that as a challenge, like, I will make you love me. (laughs) I was literally just trying to win love while knocking genitals together. (laughs) It's not about equality and it's not about being accurate mirrors for each other and being able to understand the needs of the other. It's like hormones are surging, right? And sometimes I feel like energetically as humans, we were almost set up to fail. Do you know what I mean? It's like at every stage, something could happen to completely disrupt the development of the chakra just based on the life stage that we're at when that chakra's integrity is really developing. But the good news is, we all go through a lot of the similar experiences in the 20s. It's fascinating to me that that lines up with Western college time. It just so happens to be that that's really when your heart chakra is developing is when most people in in Western culture go off to college. And that's their first experience a lot of times of actually meeting people who are outside of their neighborhood or their community. It's all related. I know. I wish I wasn't drunk the whole time my heart chakra was developing. (laughs) I can tell you, you weren't alone. And I had a different experience. You know, my family's business burned down when I was a junior in high school. And so I had to stay close to home, go to community college. I had to also get a job because we lost everything. And so for me, college was this time of anxiety. It was like, man, I better make this work and get really good grades because any kind of fallback I had, including anyone helping me pay for college is all gone now. And so I did nothing but study for four years. And it served me well. I mean, I went on to get a PhD and I was very academically successful. I had no fun in college. (laughs) I don't even think I went to a single party the whole time I was in college. My heart chakra didn't develop as well as it should have because I wasn't having the same relational experiences. I wasn't expanding my emotional horizons at the time. I was, frankly, again, that immigrant, you know, DNA was being activated around, holy shit, we just lost everything. And now I have to go make something of this because I don't want to lose everything. So I made all my choices at that time based in fear, not based in love. And so for me, heart chakra healing in a lot of ways has been around not being afraid to put my heart first 
and say that that's going to be my priority right now. Because even to this day, because I didn't do the work at that time, I still struggle to put love ahead of work sometimes. We talked about loneliness just a few weeks ago in episode 48 and social anxiety way back in episode 23. So listeners who related to either of those, you might have a heart chakra deficiency. Now, if you're a little clingy in relationships, you're probably in excess. Some of the best ways to heal a heart chakra imbalance are self-love activities, hugs, and gratitude. Moving up to the fifth energy center is the throat chakra. Here's where it gets really interesting. So your throat chakra develops a sort of adjacent to that, you know, in tandem, but also just beyond that phase where you're moving into maturity and relationship. And now you have to have a voice. You have to know who you are. You have to be able to communicate your needs. With every chakra, it's about what you need to do in order to be in healthy relationship with yourself and others. So the throat chakra becomes about communicating with your partner primarily, but with the world in general about your identity, your truth, and your needs. And again, for people in their late 20s, early 30s, for some people, this is easy street. They know who they are. They're able to tell you what their truth is. For the rest of us who struggled with road chakra issues, especially if you were raised in a conservative Christian household like I was, and all of a sudden your path is leading you in a much different direction, it can result in a blockage where you don't want to speak your truth or you don't feel safe to speak your truth. And that can end up undermining relationships, which is why a lot of divorces and separations are actually rooted in throat chakra blockages. Jeez, these chakra issues are coming at me from all angles. This is probably the biggest thing that I'm working on right now. There have been so many times when I realize I'm reacting. Now I've been essentially training myself to see, okay, there's friction here. I don't know whose fault it is, but that part doesn't matter. So I ask myself, am I actually expressing what I'm feeling or am I biting back based on emotion? If it's emotion, you can get into this emotional loop where both parties are just snapping at each other because both of you are just offended and defensive. And in my experience, that is never the best way to get your point across. Just because your reaction on whatever the argument is, is valid, doesn't mean the way you're handling yourself is kind. Let me repeat that because it's important. Just because your reaction is valid doesn't mean it's kind. Tweet that so you will remember it forever. Developing a habit of stopping and assessing mid-reaction is powerful. Ever hear something come out of your own mouth and cringe? Instead of feeling obligated to stand by what you just said because there had to be a reason that I said it, give yourself and other people permission to step back from their first reactions and say, hold on, let me try that again, or ignore that one and let me rephrase this. Chances are the root issue isn't what's even being discussed at the time. This process is what I really think makes my relationship with my husband so amazing because we realize that we're humans and therefore we're flawed. We're blobs of energy and compounds and stardust and not everything we do is logical, but we all want to believe that we are. But for me, the more I can successfully drop my ego, the more liberated and authentic I feel. It's so powerful. And here's the thing. If you have a good experience with what you're talking about, where you're like, nope, here it is. You know what I mean? I'm able to, I'm able to articulate it. I'm able to put words around it. I'm able to share it with other people. What happens in a lot of cases, though, is that when we go to share that truth, people are like, whoa, that's too much. You're too much. I can't handle that. You need to 
quiet that down. I don't know if you should be talking about that, which is what I got. I actually did a podcast maybe about seven years ago with a friend of mine, and we were talking about the too much woman, because there's this whole narrative around women who are too loud or too passionate or too vocal or too opinionated or too brash or too, you know what I mean? And I was that woman. And so what that can end up doing is putting you back in your box. Oh, I shouldn't say those things. Oh, I shouldn't be that honest. Oh, I shouldn't be that demanding. Again, it's like the blockages can be so subtle. It can be one person saying, oh, wow, I can't believe you said that. And then all of a sudden you clamp down and and you don't say that again because you don't want to be the too much woman. If you're a woman in a corporate job, you may have experienced that double standard of men being called assertive while women are called bossy when doing the same things. If that's you, you can try mantras, journaling, surrounding yourself with the color blue, or even singing to yourself. Up next is the sixth chakra, which is the third eye. Your third eye is the seat of your intuition. It's that little voice that you can hear sometimes when you're quiet enough, which is why a lot of us practice meditation and yoga. We're trying to get to a place where we're still enough that we can hear. And some people hear their intuition. It's called clairaudience. Some people see their intuition. It's called clairvoyance. Some people sense their intuition. They get a feeling about things. They get chicken skin when they hear things. That's clairsentience. But whatever it looks like, it's all the same energy center. And that really comes into its fullest expression in the late 30s, which is why people like me start Sage Goddess at 38. You know what I mean? I was already extremely intuitive and wise, to use our earlier conversation. But my intuition went through an incredible blooming period in my mid to late 30s. And that's what allowed me to channel the vision of what I created. I feel like so many people have this complex about aging, but I'm just excited. As long as I stay active and treat my body right, you can take my looks and give me intuition any day. I'm 33 now, and I can definitely feel my intuition deepening. I think I have a little bit of clairsentience. I'll just get goosebumps when I hear certain things, but I think I'm strongest with claircognizance. Sometimes I just know. Oh, yeah. It just gets better from there because... You build your gifts. And by the way, you can be all three. In fact, there's more. There's something called clear alliance, which is clear smelling. Spirit communicates with me through scent. I'll be in a room. The whole room will fill up with a scent. And then five minutes later, it's gone. And so that's another kind of what we call the clair gifts, you know, the, the gifts of clarity. But you can be all of those at once. And in fact, you know, at a certain point in your late 30s, you'll start to feel like the information is coming from everywhere. I'm hearing it. I'm seeing it. I'm sensing it. I'm smelling it. I'm and you have to learn how to balance because your gifts are going to expand in your late 30s. We don't talk about this. And in fact, I have to say, I don't think I've ever heard anybody talk about it, but I'm glad we're talking about it because I think the more we can prepare people, I think they know their gifts are expanding in their late 30s, but they don't really understand why, that it's this energetic maturing, just like you have emotional maturing and physical maturing and your energetic maturity lasts really until menopause for women. It's really that when you get to your 50s and 60s, you are at your fullest energetic integrity at that time. Is there anything that we can do as individuals to accelerate our intuition or our third eye opening? Crystals are accelerators of spiritual and energetic maturity. And so they are the absolute keys to unlocking these things early. I've got my kids working with crystals now. They're nine and 11. They've been working with them since they were kids and they are accelerating. They're, they're far ahead of where I was. Having said that, I think our planet is far ahead of where it was when I was their age, you know, in 1980. I think we, our planet is accelerating. And so people who are growing up now are growing up 
been experiencing their gifts at a younger age. I'm curious about the impact of that on the rest of the stages. You know, it's like, is their intuition, instead of maturing like minded in mid, the mid to late 30s, is it going to be the mid to late 20s for them? And then what does that mean for, you know, are all the stages being fast tracked? And as a parent, I'm monitoring that because I think that's actually what's happening. Well, just as a business mentor can help accelerate your business growth, I can imagine having an intuitive mother would do the same. There are a lot of children who have these extrasensory abilities and adults just say they're imagining so they start to doubt themselves at a really young age. Way back in episode 7, I interviewed an intuitive named Janet Raftis and both she and her son have really strong psychic abilities. Well, she recognized it in him when he was only 18 months old, so she was able to nurture that throughout his lifetime. So that's interesting that you can probably do that with your children as well. Yeah. And I think on the one hand, it's interesting and it's kind of exciting. And on the other hand, I think I still want my kids to have an energetic childhood. I don't want them to have to have heart chakra development happening during puberty. I don't know that that would be effective, you know what I mean? Or even recommended. I think that there's a reason the stages have sort of evolved as they have. And again, they're all unfolding all the time, but there seem to be these human parameters around the stages of development that seem static across cultures and and even across gender too. I'm interested to know how much those static phases are going to change. I just feel like we're interfering so much these days with our natural rhythms. Girls are even starting their periods at age seven and eight now. It's crazy. And who knows if it's technology or toxins or a constant flow of cellular signals running throughout our bodies. So I wonder how much our environment affects the development of our chakras as well. And to your earlier question about moon phases, this is this is why I do public full moon and new moon ritual for free every month online. And I have been doing that for seven and a half years now. And the reason I commit to doing that every month is that if we can get back to those rhythms, because those rhythms are still accurate, right? Nature still manifests in lunar cycles. At the new moon, she imagines. At the full moon, she experiences and releases. And so the feminine body still, you know, waxes and wanes by that lunar cycle. And so these are still true. These natural rhythms and these natural cycles are still relevant to us. And I think when we can pull people off of the virtual experiences and get them back to practical natural experiences that ground them in nature and in the history, because our ancestors worked with moon phases and moon cycles. This is so ingrained in our DNA that it's we don't have to learn it. It resonates as true and it returns us to a state of peace that I think all of us are looking for right now. I'll make sure to link to those full moon rituals at mindlove.com slash zero five zero. Now the final seventh chakra is your crown chakra. What do we need to know about the crown chakra? Well, there's a seventh chakra. And then I do talk in the book about the additional two, which I'll mention briefly when I'm done here too, because it's one of the ways the book sort of moves beyond the traditional seven chakras that people focus on. There are only seven though, that are really attached to your physical body, which is why if you only work with the seven, you're still doing good work because those are your human energy centers. The other two are anchors to other dimensions. And so I'll mention those briefly, but they're not the core of who you are. The seventh chakra is your crown chakra, which is right at the top of your head. And that is the gateway to your connection with God. That is you know, or source or universe or whatever feels comfortable and accurate for each person. But that is your relationship point with the force that created you. And so that is 
at the end of the day, where you go for peace as a human being, because you're not going to necessarily find peace at your third eye. Your third eye is going to show you past, present and future and can actually induce a lot of anxiety in you, especially if you're not ready to deal with the past or with the future. It can be jarring sometimes. The crown chakra is really about recognizing the smallness of who you are on the one level, which helps you realize, put your problems in perspective, how tiny you are, but also the bigness of who you are, that you are connected to every other soul who has ever existed. And that's because you all come from the same cloth. And so the peace that we all seek isn't found in any of the other chakras except the crown, in my experience. So basically, the crown chakra is the existential crisis chakra. According to yogic philosophy, though, the crown chakra is the seat of the soul or our access to enlightenment. So you might be deficient if you're apathetic or lonely or withdrawn. And you might be in excess if you're experiencing egotism or greed or even just mental confusion. You can work through this one through meditation, energy work, or if you're open, plant medicine can blast right through that imbalance. I'm really interested in the other two energy centers that are anchors to other dimensions. Tell us about those. There are these two other energy centers. If you think about them, they're like your tethers or your cords to the earth and to the stars. And one of the common threads among all the indigenous traditions is they recognize that we come from stars whether they call themselves star beings or star seeds. A lot of the Native American traditions uh, root themselves in this concept of star beings that come from specific stars and galaxies beyond our own. And so the soul star chakra, which is about a foot above your head, is the gateway through which you entered into the container that you chose for this lifetime, your human body. And it's the gateway through which you will exit when your work is complete. And there are actually people who have seen incredible experiences, death experiences. My mom is one of them. And that's the longer story. But she actually, when her sister passed away, she saw her sister's soul leave the body left through the soul star chakra. And her story was very consistent with many other stories of what that experience of watching the soul leave the body looks like. So that's where you leave. <laughs> that's where you came in. And that is what we call the angelic gateway. And so that's the gateway to other star dimensions and to the angels, archangels and broader spirit team that we work with. And then below your feet, about 12 inches is the earth star chakra. And that's where your energy plugs into what we call Gaia's crystalline matrix. All of the crystals that are within the planet that in so many ways anchor us and keep us connected to source energy as is manifest through the planet. So you're working with crystals all the time, whether you ever touch a crystal or not. And that's because that is nature's battery. <laughs> that is her generator. And the earth star is how you access it. I've just started getting into crystals, but I definitely still feel like a beginner. There's just so much memorization. There's so much to learn with everything. There is. I know. I always tell people, learn by working with them. Don't learn by, you know, the way I did it was getting books and highlighting because I like to learn by reading. But most people learn best about crystals by experiencing them because they're teachers. And again, if you can get your mind quiet enough, and isn't that the root of everything? Can you get your mind quiet enough? They'll actually show you. I let people cheat by asking me questions and teaching them classes. But at the end of the day, the best wisdom they're going to get about how to use their crystals is by working with them. 
So you're saying I should remove my crystal flashcards from my Amazon cart. <laughs> <laughs> for now, I actually would say that. And again, it's ironic for me to say because I sell crystals for a living with every single crystal that people buy from Sage Goddess. It comes with a card. It explains the properties, how to use it. I mean, I over provide the intellectual material because that's my way of learning. But at the same time, I would much rather people throw the card over their shoulder and go meditate with it. That makes a lot of sense, though, because going back to what we were talking about earlier, we have this tendency to rely on outside information when we have all the answers within ourselves. So if we first try to check in with what we feel or our inner knowing and then double check with that outside information, we might actually grow instead of becoming dependent. That's right. Well, the ego wants to know what's true. The ego wants the facts. The ego wants data because the ego is here to protect you. And it's also here to protect you from misinformation. And so the ego is going to say, nope, look it up. It's on page 132. Nope, that was the wrong definition. Nope, you did the wrong meditation. That's ego talking. On one hand, there's some good in our ego really wanting to find the truth. But on the other hand, it confines us to what's already been learned instead of allowing us to grow and break old thought paradigms and move beyond ourselves and discover new things. That's the age old dilemma. It's like, how do we evolve our wisdom if we're not willing to break with tradition? Speaking of tradition, tomorrow is Halloween. So I have to ask, how can we harness or maximize the energetic power of Halloween this year? I like to say in my world, every day is Halloween because all Halloween is, is the physical thinning of the veil between the worlds of the living and the dead. As someone who practices shamanism, I live between the worlds. And so the veil's always thin in my house. <laughs> you know what I mean? So people get all excited about Halloween and what we call Samhain in more of the earth-based traditions. Samhain means summer's end in Celtic. And so in Gaelic, it's the same thing. Samhain and Halloween are both on October 31st and they're connected in terms of the fact that they both point to this time when it's easier to make contact with the spirit world. The ghosts are out and about and that's why you got to put on a costume in Halloween so that they don't recognize you and follow you home. And so all of our fun traditions with our kids are really rooted in, holy shit, I don't want a ghost to recognize me. I'm going to put on a mask. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I think it's fun to play with the traditions, but also recognize they have a very serious underlying reality to them, which is this time of year, the spirits are around more than usual. And then right around November 2nd, 3rd, they go back until May 1st, which is on the other side of the calendar, literally six months later. And that's also another portal between the veils again. Interesting. I wonder why we don't observe May 1st as another holiday. Yeah, it's actually so Samhain or Halloween is the veil parting for death and Beltane, which is May 1st, is the veil parting for life. And so just like everything else in the universe, it's yin and yang. There's a balance of light and shadow. So this is the shadow veil thinning and that is the light veil thinning in May. Well, this Halloween also falls on a waning gibbous moon. I've been really into working with the moon cycles and moon rituals. So what is this a good time to focus on? Let that shit go. All right, then. Let that shit go. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a lot of energy. If you think about it globally, what's happening right now, we're having to release old patterns. And you can look at that on the macro level and say, as a country, as a world, we're having to let go of how we think things are supposed to be or what was supposed to happen, because there's another story that's trying to be written. And it's going to be written through us, whether we go with the flow or not. And so 
there's the releasing on sort of the global level of consciousness. Then there's the bringing it down to you, the micro, like what isn't serving you? What patterns can you release? What expectations about who you thought you were supposed to be? That mask, you know, that you wear that, you know, really doesn't look that good on you anyway. If you were to take that mask off, what would be sitting underneath? So this year, as you put on your Halloween mask, take off the metaphorical mask. We're going to get a bunch of listeners stripping off their Halloween costumes in the middle of the street. Just keep it PG, kids. So for listeners who've resonated with your wealth of information, where can they connect with you online? My home online is sagegoddess.com. We have about 5,000 different products on our website, everything from jewelry to crystals. We manufacture three different types of candles in-house. And we manufacture and distribute around the world, both retail and wholesale. I teach three online classes. And so all of my online courses can be found at sagegoddess.com slash register. If people want to learn with me, my classes are all live and very interactive Q&A based. And then the book is actually the first of three. My second book is now on Amazon as well called Crystal Lore, Legends and Myths. It's the history of crystals around the world since the beginning of time. But this particular chakra book, I have to say, I think is foundational reading uh, for You don't have to know anything going into it. And yet, if you're a seasoned practitioner, my hope is you'll still find something that excites you. There's lots of recipes and meditation exercises that I wrote just for the book. So it's a rich source. And the last chapter, people should know, I channeled. And so the last chapter, I didn't write in a conscious state. I was in a trance state. And it's called If the Chakras Could Speak. And so it gives you a sense of what would your energy center say to you if you were able to listen to them? Well, thank you so much for everything you've shared. Who knew chakras could be so much fun? Thank you. Oh, I can't tell you. It was just like spending time with a good girlfriend. You are, you're so brilliant and insightful. And I think the work that you're bringing to the planet is not only timely, but absolutely required. So thank you for everything that you are doing as well in service of all of us right now. So as we discussed, the chakras all work together. If one's off, it's likely that they're all a little... But usually, we have a few dominant offenders based on our own life experiences. So don't overwhelm yourself. It's kind of like when your house is a mess and you don't even know where to start. So just pick the room that will make the biggest difference and start there. Life is a journey of improving and discovering. And you're always going to be working on something, so it doesn't matter how long it takes. All of the links mentioned in this episode are at mindlove.com slash 050. You can support this show by supporting our sponsors. Again, I only partner with brands that I really do love and fully believe in. If you're enjoying Mind Love, tell a friend, family member, or coworker about it. And don't forget to subscribe on CastBox or Apple Podcasts and rate and review on Apple Podcasts. To stay inspired between episodes, don't forget to sign up for the Morning Mind Love at mindlove.com or text MORNING to 444-999. And you can visit me on social media at Mind Love Podcast. Thanks for giving your mind a little love today, and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week. 